Was Desmond Ritter pressing versus the Panthers, and was the Falcons' defensive success owed more to their pressure or their coverage? We're breaking down the Week 1 All-22 film on today's Locked on Falcons. You are Locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. So, guys, if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Used to cover the Falcons for many years over at Falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on this illustrious podcast. You may also know me as Sirius Black. You may also know me as Mr. Holier Than Thou. And you may also know me as Mr. Drew. My friends call me Negative Nancy, but you can call me Mr. Drew. But you can become one of my friends by becoming an everydayer of this illustrious podcast uh, and listening to this podcast as your first listen each and every day. And all you got to do is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today is the All 22 Review and before we dive into film, I will give you a heads up for those of you that are new everydayers on this podcast that weren't listening to this show last week. We do these film reviews each and every week, but you're not going to see film, actual film on this YouTube broadcast. I will post clips. You know, it's copyright issues. I will post clips of the plays that I'm discussing on Twitter, on my Falk fans Twitter, uh, and I should be able to pin a comment with links to those clips on Wednesday. But Here's one of the perks of if you're a subscriber to Subtext, you will get access to an extended version of this film breakdown on YouTube that should be posted either late Tuesday or early Wednesday. Uh, and you'll get the same plays, but you'll get HD versions of that on this show, uh, as well as more in-depth analysis. You'll also get extra breakdowns, extra plays getting broken down. For example, my goal is to showcase some of the protection issues, as well as some of the spacing issues that plague this offense in week one. And so I think subtext is definitely worth your time. It's $4.99 a month. You know, basically, if you're only getting it to get those extended film reviews, you're paying $1.25 a week. Is that worth it? And especially you're getting the first two of those for free because you get a 14-day free trial when you sign up with the link in the description below. So check it out. But the brunt of today's offensive breakdown on the Falcons film is going to be focusing on the quarterback Desmond Ritter's issues. And it's not because there weren't other factors that were holding back this offense in week one. Someone on subtext earlier today asked me sort of how much would you split the, the, the difference between Ritter's issues and the protection issues. And I told him for me personally, it's like 50% Desmond Ritter, 35% protection, 15% play calling or other. And again, that's the another value of subscribing to subtext, getting that direct feedback. Again, click the link in the description below if you want to join that. But so much of the season is going to be about Desmond Ritter's development. So I think it's worthwhile to talk about Desmond Ritter's development and talking about the quarterback. And I don't think you necessarily need me to go too deep into Caleb McGarry getting beat by Brian Burns when he lined up in a wide nine technique. You know, that feels very obvious that, you know, one of the things we strive to do on this podcast is go beyond sort of the surface level analysis on this podcast. And as far as the play calling goes, you know, which I think is 
been somewhat fairly criticized, but I will defend at least one criticism of Arthur Smith, which is uh, I've heard from various folks that they didn't use enough play action. I think some of that is owed to them trying to get Ritter into a rhythm with some quicker, easier throws than necessarily those more longer developing plays off of play action. But we'll break down a couple of plays that show some of my concerns with Desmond Ritter's decision-making in this game. And the very first one was the first snap of the game, where the Falcons were running a mesh concept out of 22 personnel. Keith Smith, the fullback, was lined up at the tight end position. And mesh is basically you have two crossing underneath receivers. You had Michael Pruitt lined up on the left that was going to the right. You had Kyle Pitts lined up on the right that was going to the left. And if you watch the play from the end zone angle, you'll see sort of right before Ritter throws the ball, you'll see his eyes go to the right to look at where Pruitt is going to wind up. But then when you actually look at the trajectory of the throw, he's throwing it directly ahead. So the only conclusion I can have is that he's throwing it to Keith Smith. Now, this was the play that was batted down at the line of scrimmage. And I think it was fortunate that it was batted down because if, if that ball does not get batted, I think Frankie Luvu, the Panthers linebacker, is reading Ritter's eyes and he's prepared to jump that throw and potentially make an interception. So I don't think the game got off. Ritter got off to the best start, right? I know Pro Football Focus only charted one turnover-worthy pass from Ritter in this game. I don't think it was this first play, uh, but I would probably argue that Ritter deserves two because I think this was a turnover-worthy uh, decision, even if the pass wasn't necessarily uh, in a position to get picked off because it was batted out. I think the play that they did chart, I'm guessing, was his first pass of the third quarter, which was this was an instance where Ritter similarly kind of forced the tried to force the ball into coverage uh, to a crosser to Kyle Pitts over the middle between two linebackers. I don't really know why he made that decision. It was a very small closing window over the middle. He had an open check down to his left uh, to Bijan Robinson in the flat. And so these are signs of Ritter kind of pressing not only on the first play of the, of the first half, the first play of the second half. And so we did see Ritter kind of settle down later in the third quarter. You started to see him get in a the rhythm. There was a play at the end of the third quarter. It was a second and eight where he hits a wide open Kyle Pitts in the flat for a 10 yard gain. He reads the defender being in off coverage. Easy read. Make the throw. Uh, first down for the Falcons. And then on the very next play, though, the issues came again where the Falcons ran, from my vantage, the exact same play. The defender's off, Kyle Pitts runs into the flat, but Ritter doesn't pull the trigger, right? Instead, he scrambles to his left, escapes the pocket, finds an open Tyler Algier on the move for a 12-yard gain. Now, maybe he didn't pull the trigger because the, the defender was cheating down a little bit more, but I don't think that defender was in a position to jump that throw if Ritter makes an accurate throw, but maybe he cheats down enough that instead of a 10-yard gain like it was on the previous play, it's maybe a 6-yard gain or 8-yard gain. He's able to make that tackle much more quickly after the catch. But you know, even though you can sit there and say we got a better result with a seemingly 12-yard gain from Tyler Algier, versus a potential six or eight yard gain to Kyle Pitts, you know, we're more about process over results because process is much more predictive of future outcomes than solely looking at results. And so I want to make it clear. It wasn't all bad for Desmond Ritter, right? You know, I don't think his accuracy was great, specifically on the passes to Matt Collins. There was a couple of throws to Matt Collins that was off the mark, but we're just going to believe that that's something that can be improved with 
building with more reps, right? Building that rapport and improving the timing that he has with these new receivers. So that should get better with time. And I do think upon rewatching the game that that deep ball to Pitts at the end of the game was a well-placed ball. I think he threw the ball right to the spot where he needed to, where only Kyle Pitts could go get that. So despite all this criticism of Desmond Ritter, he did check one of the boxes that we were wanting to see him check this season, which is, is that deep ball 100% hit rate on the one deep shot he took in his games. So we'll take what we can get with that. Uh, He's off to a great start, at least as far as that concerns, but circling back to some of the concerns, I'm sure some of you guys are listening or watching and being like, okay, Aaron, you outlined like three questionable pass plays. Is that a big deal? It may not be a big deal. Right. But I think for me personally, it's a little frustrating because these were the types of plays that Ritter seemingly was doing at a, doing well last year like these were non-issues last year and i wouldn't say that that's necessarily a sign that he's regressing or anything like again maybe we just brush it off as week one jitters maybe he's pressing a little bit but where my brain kind of goes guys is you know was these was these was his pressing related to the pressure that carolina was bringing early in the game as you guys may recall a consistent through line throughout the Matt Ryan era was that when defenses were able to get after him early and basically punch him in the mouth, right? It led to happier feet and poorer decisions, a speedier clock and all those various things. And you saw a downturn in Matt Ryan's play. And was that the issue with Desmond Ritter in this game? And is that going to be an issue in the future? Now we don't know the answer to that question quite yet because we don't have a big sample size of Ritter getting pressured a lot, right? I know in this game, PFF, uh, said that he was only pressured on 23% of his dropbacks. I personally would put that number at 27% because one higher, one play more. But that doesn't paint an accurate portrait of the first half where, at least by my count, all the pressure occurred, right? So that number of pressure on terms of his first half dropbacks was closer to 40% in the first half, right? Now, PFF would probably put it at 36%. I would put it at 43 split the difference, 40%. So, you know, we only had one game last year where Ritter was pressured at a similar rate. That was the week 18 game against the Bucks. You know, once again, it was it was hurricane season, hurricane Tryon on McGarry Island that game. It was hurricane burns on uh, McGarry Island this week. Um, and but we saw in that Bucks game, Ritter did a good job handling that pressure by extending plays outside the pocket using his mobility. And so it raises questions for me, at least in the future, when we deal with pressure like this, and this isn't going to be the last time that the Falcons have to handle uh, a high degree of pressure guys. Uh, they, they face some really good pass rushes this year. That is uh, definitely apparent. You know, is it going to be more something of Ritter's mobility is going to kind of, you know, eliminate that and make that, mostly a non-issue or are we going to get more games like this where he might start pressing a little bit a la Matt Ryan did throughout his career so we don't necessarily have answers to those questions right now but and for that reason, you're not going to hear me say, you know, we need to make a render, referendum on Desmond Ritter. We need to draw final conclusions on this thing. I think in the meantime, we just need to be patient. We'll find those answers over the course of the coming weeks and months this upcoming season. And we'll talk a little bit more about the need for patience with the Falcons offense at the end of today's episode. But we'll continue today's Locked On podcast looking at the defense, flipping the script, and talking about the Falcons' defense's ability to generate pressure and how it impacted this game. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked On Falcons. So our partners over at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. And whether you're prepping for the 
draft or you're scouting the waiver wire every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit your roster so let's see who Vinny Iyer has picked for us in this week's eBay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week and this one is very personal to me I'm going to ride or die with Bengals wide receiver T Higgins who got eight targets and put up zero fantasy points in week one on my fantasy teams against a very tough Brown secondary but he gets a big shot to rebound uh big time against the Ravens this week at home. The Texans had a lot of success throwing outside against uh, the Ravens secondary. And Higgins has a history of massive volume versus Baltimore when healthy. So stick with T Higgins as your ride or die in what should be a high scoring affair this week against the Ravens. Now, Vinny Iyer from Lockdown Fantasy Football is helping us win your fantasy football championship. And eBay and Motors knows a championship team. It's about each player being a perfect fit. And the same is true of your vehicle with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternator shock struts, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com slash motors ebay guaranteed fit only available to u.s customers eligible items only exclusions apply so let's talk a little bit more about the defense and the pressure and as many of you guys know that uh, i plan to continue doing this i have been charting the falcons defensive coverages since the 2019 season but we may have to take a couple more weeks before we get too deeply into the falcons coverages right over the last eight years I uh, have basically been mastering middle of the field coverage, middle of the field close coverages, right? But now we're in a middle of the field open or split safety world under new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen. So some of the nuances of those coverages are a little lost to me. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm watching like, is that cover four match? Is that match quarters or is that cover five? You know, so I, I need to go back to school uh, and educate myself on some of these nuances. So it's probably going to take us a couple more weeks uh, for me to before we can parse through uh, to give you some of that accurate coverage information here on the podcast. But in the meantime, we'll focus primarily on the front and the pressure and the Falcons finished this game. According to my charting, pressuring Bryce Young on about 42% of his 43 dropbacks. Longtime listeners know that in my opinion, hitting 35% pressure rate or higher is good. So 42% is a good number. Pro Football Focus put the Falcons pressure rate at 45% on 42 dropbacks. I'm assuming they're not counting that fumble on the botched exchange on the opening drive as a pass play. And I, they also are giving the Falcons credit for 19 pressures instead of 18 like myself. So we're not far off. Some, some weeks, me and PFF are, are not on the same page, but this week we're pretty much on the same page when it comes to the pressures. But one of the things that was notable was how much pressure the Falcons were able to generate in the fourth quarter alone. Now, based off of my charting, the Falcons only pressured Young on seven of his 25 dropbacks through the first three quarters. That's a 28% pressure rate. So again, that's below that acceptable 35% rate. In the fourth quarter, though, the pressure rate was 61%, which is well above uh, that acceptable 35% rate. And if you're curious, what was the Falcons' overall pressure rate last year, according to my charting? It was 32%. There were nine games last year where they did not, they failed to hit that 35% pressure rate or above last year. Um, so clearly, the pressure in week one, especially when the Falcons were rushing for it, was not quite to the level that we want it to be, especially in those first three quarters when they were predominantly relying on their four man pressures. And, you know, I think some of that is owed to people kind of underestimating Carolina's offensive line because they were overrating how 
predictive the preseason is, right? Carolina's offensive line, according to PFF, was ranked 15th in the league last year. And so I think people overrated the idea that they were going to be this massive liability um, going into the season. But, you know, I think the conclusion that many will reach is maybe we need to dial up more blitzes. Um, and especially given that our pass rush looked better in the fourth quarter when we were bringing more pressure, bringing more of those blitzes. And it is true that we did bring more pressure in the fourth quarter than we did prior to that. We only brought pressure three times in the first three quarters combined. So a blitz rate of about 12% in the fourth quarter, they blitz four times and that's almost double the blitz rate, roughly 22%. So I think it's easy to, and kind of lazy maybe to conclude some causality which we blitz more we get we got more pressure but i think this is why you got to watch the film because the falcons did blitz twice on the opening drive in fact in the first four pass plays that carolina had and they got burned on both of those blitzes and so i think they adjusted by saying let's just be content to rush four and let's let our coverage lock down carolina's weak wide receiver core and that proved very effective if you look at the first three quarters combined carolina's success rate on the three plays where the falcons blitz their success rate was 67%, which is very good. And when the Falcons only rush four or less, their success rate was 28%, which is very bad, right? So essentially, the defense was two and a half times more effective rushing four through the first three quarters than they were when they were blitzing. So again, rushing four was the most effective method of doing so, uh, but it wasn't because they were able to get effective pressure. It was mostly because they were able to play good coverage, right? So I think the main takeaway we need to have from week one, why was the Falcons defense as effective as it was in week one? It's mostly due to good coverage on the back end. And I don't know if that's particularly sustainable given the likelihood that we'll see improved and increased quality of quarterback and receiver core in the coming weeks. So I think it is important in the future that the pass rush does a little bit better, especially when they're only rushing four uh, of getting pressure on the quarterback, as well as the Falcons hopefully will be more effective blitzing so that they're not getting burned, uh, you know, living by the sword, dying by the sword, that sort of thing. So if you're confused a little bit on why we're dis making this distinction between the first three quarters and the fourth quarter, it's because in the fourth quarter, Carolina became very one dimensional after the Falcons built their seven to 10 lead prior to that point, you know, they were much more balanced offense. And we know that defense by nature is much is reacting, right? It's reactive. And so if you know what's coming, i.e., you know the pass is coming, it's much easier for you to react and plan accordingly. So through the first three quarters, Carolina called runs on 48% of their offensive plays. They did maintain some balance going into the fourth quarter after the 17-10 lead with the 50-50 run pass balance on their next two series. But then the Falcons went up 24-10 and they completely abandoned the run. They only ran the ball 13% of their remaining plays. Uh, and so oh, their overall run pass balance in the fourth quarter was 25% run versus 75% pass. And notably, the Falcons, once the Falcons went up 24-10, if you look at their pressure rate after that point, they had a 69% pressure rate. Nice. So when we look ahead to Green Bay, right, a couple of stats from pro football focus jump out to me from week one. Jordan Love was the second least pressured quarterback in week one. He was only pressured on 20% of his dropbacks against the Bears, but he was the lowest graded quarterback, according to PFF, while under pressure. Now, we don't have a huge sample size of Jordan Love, given that he hasn't played a ton over the last three years um, and, you know, week one included. But when you do look at what we do have seen from Jordan Love in limited offerings, his PFF grades under pressure have been very low over those three years. So if we're going to plant our flag on one key to victory right now, heading into week two, we got to get pressure 
on the quarterback and it has to get better moving forward if we're going to have success against Green Bay, uh, equal success or greater success against Green Bay as we had against the Carolina Panthers. So that is going to do it for our film breakdown. We're going to wrap up today's episode talking about why we need to be a little bit more patient with Desmond Ritter, Arthur Smith, and the Falcons passing attack moving forward in the early part of the season. And we'll get into that to wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. Now, I want to tell you guys about Jace Medical. And recently, there have been issues with supply chain shortages, natural disasters like hurricanes and wildfires, pandemics. Or maybe you find yourself traveling and being in an unfamiliar place that doesn't have access to life-saving medications. And you need to be more prepared now than ever. And I personally deal with sinus infections and ear infections a bunch. And I don't want to have to worry about not being able to get the antibiotics that I need. And Jace Medical has my back. All I got to do is go online, simple, fill out a form, and I get prescription life-saving medications sent right to my door. And they got the Jace case, and that's where you can keep all the meds and antibiotics that they send you. It gives you peace of mind so that you have access to medication in an emergency, and you can save more than $360 by getting these life-saving medications and antibiotics with Jace Medical. Plus, you get an additional $20 off by using our promo code Locked On at checkout at jacemedical.com that's j-a-s-e medical.com promo code locked on guys i want to tell you about prize picks which is a fun new way to play daily fantasy and what i like about prize pick is it's quick it's simple right you just pick two or more players and you pick whether or not they get more or less than their projected stats it's quick it takes less than a minute and you get your money back quick and especially when you're earning up to 25 times your money on your entries, you know, it's great to have that extra money in your pocket. And if you want to play this week's entry with the Falcons, you can project Bijan Robinson's 64 and a half rushing yards, more or less. Whatever you take, head on over to Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app, just by going to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use the code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL or use promo code locked on NFL in all lowercase prize picks daily fantasy made easy. So wrapping up today's locked on Falcons, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, the healthy amount of criticism I've seen for the Falcons week one performance, especially in their passing tag. We talked about this a little bit on yesterday with Scott Bear at AtlantaFalcons.com. And, you know, started out today's episode expressing my own criticisms of the Falcons passing attack. So I'm sure some of you guys have already posted comments about, you know, that's not fair. Why are you complaining? We won the game, blah, 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 blah. And one thing you'll never hear on this illustrious podcast is, hey, we won. You're not allowed to be critical, right? You know, if that's how you think, then this is definitely not the podcast for you, right? You you can already unsubscribe and stop being an everyday because if that's how you see it. But, you know, I do think some of the criticism should be tempered somewhat because I do think we need to be more patient, right? And if you just look back at recent history, especially with Arthur Smith, it does take the Falcons a couple of weeks to sort of spool up their passing game, right? You go back to 2021 and I'll admit I was complaining about it throughout those first couple of weeks of the game, but they started to get things going that week four game against Washington. But those first three weeks, yes, I was very loud and complaining about it, but I've learned my lesson. Now you go back to last year, right? You know, the first two weeks, it, it, it was a little rough, right? It took them 
you know, most of the criticisms were about we got to get Kyle Pitts the ball, right? And then you started seeing things start to click in week three against Seattle and whatever. And so I, I think we we kind of know that it's going to take three or four weeks roughly uh, for them to get things going, right? And, you know, one of the things you constantly hear me say on the podcast, yes, beggars can't be choosers, but not that today, is like you hear me talk about you can control what you can control. And frankly, from my perspective, you can't control whether or not the Falcons get off to a fast start each and every year, but I can control my expectations on how fast that start is going to be. And so if I know it's going to take a couple of weeks, I can set my expectation. Okay, it's going to take three or four weeks for us to see this passing offense get going. It always seemed to do not just under Arthur Smith, but even if you go back beyond it, right? When the last time the Falcons got out to a hot start, at least from a passing standpoint in week one, arguably 2015, Right now, you know, I've heard some people say, oh, well, look at other teams, look at other quarterbacks. I just think that's kind of a lazy excuse. Like you don't care. I don't care about other teams and other quarterbacks. Right. You only care about the Atlanta Falcons. So I say just look at the Atlanta Falcons. The last time their offense, their passing attack clicked in week one was 2015. Right. Again, I know some people like, well, didn't they do that last year? It wasn't really the passing attack. Mariota was okay in that game. It was really CP in the running game as well as the pass rush that made us get out to that fast start against the Saints last year. But if you go back to that, even that 2015 game, the last time our passing attack was clicking, it was really just Julio Jones clicking and cooking Byron Maxwell against the Eagles. And that, and that's the reason why Julio is the goat. Like, you know, you can't see he's on the goat wall. Right. Right. He just kind of like it used to be that Julio would just kind of carry the offense for the first couple of weeks until they would start getting going. That's why he's Julio Jones. Right. So I guess my advice is I think we need to be a little bit more patient. We just need to give it a couple more weeks again, two, three weeks, whatever it is. Right. And I just feel like we should kind of know that by this point in time. So we should set our expectations accordingly. And so, you know, part of this is because I, I kind of predicted a slow start for the Falcons. I predicted them. If you missed that episode last week, I predicted them to start the season one in three. Um, and so if they drop the next three, you know, I'm sure there's probably going to be a lot less panic on this podcast than it is elsewhere in the fan base because I expected that to happen right now. I also predicted that after that one in three start, they would win five of their next six. And, you know, maybe they win four of their next six after that point, And that's probably fine. Now, if they only win like three out of their next six, then we're probably going to see me panicking a little bit more at that point in time. But, you know, you know, another thing that would probably cause me to panic a little bit is if the injury bug hits them over the next couple of games and, and that limits their ability to win five of their next six, that sort of thing. So that will be something, you know, we'll cross that bridge if hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge, but if it, we get to it. So, you know, I get, we all have high expectations for this team. I predicted them to finish 10 and seven this year, uh, but I don't think anybody should be expecting. It should be like a smooth sailing to 10 wins this year, right? It's going to be a roller coaster. It's going to be a bumpy ride to get to that level. And I just think we as fans just need to embrace that aspect of basically being fans. It's going to be highs and lows and just kind of embrace trying to enjoy that ride, that sort of bumpy ride and finding the good things in enjoying that bumpy ride. So again, not saying that you're not allowed to complain because again, I wouldn't be where I am right now as this illustrious podcast host. If you weren't allowed to play, complain about the Falcons, that's basically all I do is complain about the Atlanta Falcons. I'm just saying maybe we should temper our expectations a little bit. Um, and, you know, accept that this is going to be a little bit of a work in progress, especially given that we're in only phase two, at least I think we're only in phase two of a three phase rebuild. So we shouldn't be holding them to these super lofty expectations, especially at this point in the season. And, you know, to me, it's it, it's more about 
let's diagnose the problems, which is what I was hoping I was doing at the early part of this episode, as opposed to just complaining about the problem. So again, you're more than, it's more than acceptable for you to have a different perspective on that. I'm just telling you what my perspective is and I'm trying to embrace that perspective. And I guess we'll see how long that lasts, but that's going to do it for us here on today's episode. I know we usually answer questions as well on this Q and a, sorry for those of you that sent in questions. I know, uh, Jaron, you, you sent in the question. I do want to answer that. That's a little bit more involved than, uh, necessarily what we can do on less than 30 minutes on today's episode. But, you know, I think maybe we'll do a, like a Saturday mailbag exclusive episode as well. So if you didn't send any questions yet, there's still time for you to do so. And of course, if you are also a subscriber to our subtext link in the description below, you will also get priority on that upcoming mailbag. So just another reason to go check that out. But if you want to send in questions, of course, subtext is the place to go. The discord is also the place link in the description below. Uh, you can send an email to lockdownfalcons at mail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons. So guys, that's going to do it for us here today. Appreciate the everydayers. Continue to make us a first listen. Tomorrow, your first listen should be a crossover Thursday with Lockdown Packers host Peter Bukowski as we turn our attention to this week two matchup, talking about the pressure and other factors. I'll probably watch the film between now and then uh, of their week one game against the Bears uh, to get more in-depth on that. So you can stay tuned for that as your first listen tomorrow. And for your second listen today, of course, check out the Locked On NFL. Um, Aaron Rodgers out for the year, potentially, with the Achilles. So what's next for the Jets? Other stories, all part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.